You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publishers of Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington by Ted Widmer, which is available now. Providing a fresh perspective on the 16th president, Lincoln on the Verge chronicles President-elect Abraham Lincoln's 13-day journey from Springfield, Illinois to Washington, D.C. as the dark horse candidate from the West watches the nation tear apart. We see Lincoln recognize the enormity of the moment and grow daily as a leader while forging a bond with ordinary Americans, men, women, and children during the stops along his trip. Lincoln on the Verge is available now. If your local bookstore is temporarily closed, try ordering it online or at bn.com or Amazon. It's also available as a downloadable ebook and audiobook. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 319 of our Civil War podcast. My name is Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello y'all. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. As y'all recall, we used the last episode to talk a bit more about John Buford, and we said we'd use this show to take a closer look at John Reynolds' decision to fight the Confederates at Gettysburg. After Reynolds arrived at Gettysburg shortly after 10 a.m. on the morning of Wednesday, July 1, 1863, he and Buford went out along the Chambersburg Pike to examine the Union Cavalry's position on McPherson's Ridge. According to one federal officer's account, the two generals discussed, quote, the lay of the land and other military points of pressing interest. There was no doubt quite a bit going on just then that was of pressing interest, since Reynolds seems to have arrived on the scene just about the time the Confederate brigades of Archer and Davis, in light of battle, started forward and were soon hotly engaging Buford's thin line of dismounted troopers. Buford, no doubt, also informed Reynolds that besides the action heating up there along the Chambersburg Pike, there was a new threat looming to the north because Buford had also received word of Confederates advancing toward Gettysburg from that direction. This was Rhodes' division of Ewell's Corps coming down the Newville Road from Middletown. Right, so if you're Reynolds, you have Buford's hard-pressed Union cavalrymen there on McPherson's Ridge, 
and you have the report of more rebels advancing from the north. And the lead elements of your own first corps are still a ways off. But despite the precarious nature of the tactical situation, the evidence suggests that John Reynolds barely hesitated in reaching the decision to make a fight of it at Gettysburg. Reynolds' orderly, Sergeant Charles Vale, remembered how Reynolds told Buford, quote, to keep the enemy in check as long as possible to keep them from getting into town, end quote, and that he would hurry his men forward to support Buford. Reynolds then turned to his aide, Captain Stephen Weld, and gave him a verbal message to deliver to George Meade. According to Weld, Reynolds told him that he would find Meade at the Army Commander's headquarters at Tawnytown, some 14 miles away, quote, and told me to ride with the greatest speed I could, no matter if I killed my horse. Weld spurred off, carrying the following message from Reynolds to Meade, quote, The enemy are advancing in strong force. I fear they will get to the heights beyond the town before I can. I will fight them inch by inch, and if driven into the town, I will barricade the streets and hold them back as long as possible. Reynolds also sent messengers racing off to the commanders of the other two corps of the Army's left wing. To the 11th Corps' Otis Howard, Reynolds sent a message saying he had encountered the enemy in force at Gettysburg, and Howard was, quote, to bring your corps forward as rapidly as possible, end quote. And then for the commander of the 3rd Corps, Reynolds' message was, quote, Tell General Sickles I think he had better come up. Having sent off those messages, Reynolds galloped off with his staff back to the Emmitsburg Road south of town to meet the first of his troops approaching Gettysburg and hurry them on. Knowing he was in a race against time, Reynolds had his aides start tearing down roadside fences so that the men and guns could cut cross-country across the fields, bypassing the streets of Gettysburg, and in that way reach McPherson's Ridge west of town as quickly as possible. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow 
and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. John Reynolds' most urgent need was to get his lead division under Brigadier General James Wadsworth to McPherson's Ridge as quickly as possible to relieve Buford's hard-pressed Union cavalrymen. As they had marched northward that morning toward Gettysburg, though, Wadsworth's men had been remarkably oblivious to the crisis unfolding ahead of them. The same hazy, humid air that had intensified the pleasant smell of new-mown hay during the first few miles then drenched them with sweat as the march went on. Several soldiers mentioned hearing the distant rumble of artillery, but it seemed far off. Brigadier General Lysander Cutler's brigade of one Pennsylvania and four New York regiments was at the head of the 1st Corps column, followed by Captain James Hall's 2nd Maine Battery. Behind them came Wadsworth's other brigade, the famous Iron Brigade, commanded by Brigadier General Solomon Meredith. Like the rest of the column, these five Western regiments, three from Wisconsin, one from Indiana, and one from Michigan, had been marching along peacefully on that hot morning, with no expectation of any action that day. But as Cutler's brigade approached Gettysburg, they began to meet distraught civilians going the other way, fleeing the already shocking effects of the combat that had broken out on their own doorstep. A soldier in the 76th New York in Cutler's brigade remembered seeing, quote, gray-haired old men tottering along, women carrying their children, and children leading each other, while on the faces of all were depicted the manifestations of the terror and despair which had taken possession of them. A dawning awareness of the situation gradually spread backward through the column. Bringing up the rear of the Iron Brigade this morning was the 6th Wisconsin. With the town of Gettysburg only another mile or so ahead, the regiment's commander, Lieutenant Colonel Rufus Dawes, already anticipating a joyous, joyous greeting by the locals and wanting, in his words, quote, to make a show in the streets of Gettysburg, end quote, had the sixth colors uncased and had the regimental fifes and drums strike up the tune, The Campbells Are Coming. The Wisconsin boys marched along with a livelier step, but soon enough they heard the rumble of cannon fire. At first, said Dawes, it seemed distant and far away, and, quote, did not attract our attention as indicating any serious engagement. However, the sound, ominously, continued to swell, and the final assurance of impending battle came when Dawes saw Cutler's brigade at the head of the divisional column turn off the Emmitsburg Road and angle off across the fields to the left obviously heading straight for the sound of the firing. By that time, the 6th Wisconsin was about a mile south of Gettysburg, and Rufus Dawes, knowing combat was looming, told the musicians to stop playing. It seemed serious business was at hand after all, and soon both Cutler's Brigade and the Iron Brigade were trotting forward toward McPherson's Ridge at the double quick.
As we've already said previously on the podcast, John Reynolds is another of the subordinate commanders whose decisions, when taken together, resulted in a battle being fought at Gettysburg starting on July 1st, even though neither Robert E. Lee nor George Meade necessarily intended for that to happen. In the story of the Battle of Gettysburg, it's assumed by most people that 42-year-old Major General John Fulton Reynolds was a remarkable general with an exceptional war record. But as one historian has pointed out, although Reynolds was probably the most respected general officer in the Army of the Potomac, his combat record actually included only one bright spot, which was Second Bull Run, where he commanded a division. Reynolds had performed well as a brigade commander during the Seven Days Battles outside Richmond in the summer of 1862, although he was captured after Gaines Mill when, exhausted, he had laid down to take a nap under a tree and was left behind during the Federal retreat. He was exchanged in time to fight at Second Bull Run, but the Lancaster, Pennsylvania native was detached from the Army of the Potomac over his objections during the Antietam campaign, to go back and organize the Pennsylvania State Militia for the defense of his home state. Upon his return to the Army of the Potomac, Reynolds was promoted to command of the First Corps in place of the wounded Joe Hooker. His performance at Fredericksburg, however, was not particularly distinguished, and at Chancellorsville, his corps played a relatively minor role. What seems to have impressed people about Reynolds was not his combat record, but his competence. Abraham Lincoln met privately with Reynolds on June 2, 1863, in Washington, and it's widely speculated that the president offered him command of the Army of the Potomac, but Reynolds declined because he believed he wouldn't have the freedom from political constraints to act as he saw fit. Without question, John Reynolds' biggest test as a general came on July 1st at Gettysburg. He was there on the field for only a short time before he was killed, yet his decision-making that morning profoundly shaped the battle that followed. As the Federals advanced north toward the Pennsylvania line on a broad front, Reynolds had been placed in command of the left wing of the Army of the Potomac, which included his own First Corps, Howard's 11th, and Sickles 3rd. The assignment reflected the confidence Army Commander George Meade had in Reynolds' leadership and judgment. Reynolds' orders for July 1st were to advance the 1st Corps to Gettysburg to support Buford's Union Cavalry. Those orders contained a key provision. Reynolds had authority to fall back toward Emmitsburg, Maryland, if he thought the situation justified it but that, quote, your present position was given more with a view to an advance on Gettysburg. However, Meade would revise his plans during the night and on July 1st issued a new set of orders, now known as the Pipe Creek Circular, directing the Army to fall back to defensive positions behind Pipe Creek near Tawnytown, Maryland, if contact was made with the Confederates. But significantly, because of an unforeseen delay, Reynolds never received the circular. Reynolds, who doesn't seem to have expected fighting on July 1st, was riding with the head of the 1st Corps' march column when he received Buford's message 
that serious fighting had, in fact, broken out at Gettysburg. Hurrying forward to meet with Buford, we don't know precisely what the cavalrymen told Reynolds, but the salient points would certainly have been, one, that Buford's line was being driven in toward town by A.P. Hill's corps there along the Chambersburg Pike, two, James Longstreet's corps was behind Hill, and three, Dick Yule's corps was somewhere north of Gettysburg. Reynolds would have known that that meant that up to 60,000 rebels were approaching from the direction of Cashtown, with perhaps 30,000 more north of Gettysburg. Reynolds had only a 3,500-man division within an hour's march of town. The rest of the 1st Corps wouldn't arrive before 11 a.m., and the 11th Corps not until early afternoon. John Reynolds needed to make an immediate decision. His orders, that is the last instructions he'd received from Meade, meant he essentially had three options open to him as he considered the decision he had to make quickly. First, he could withdraw Buford and pull back the 1st Corps and concentrate them with the 3rd and 11th Corps back above Emmitsburg. This was the safest option, though it would have surrendered the initiative to the enemy. Second, Reynolds could have Buford delay the enemy advance as long as possible, thereby sacrificing the Union cavalry while the 1st and 11th Corps were positioned on the good defensive ground around Cemetery Hill. This high ground just south of town was the best defensive terrain around. But if those two corps were then overwhelmed there before the rest of the army could come up, then Meade would be put at a severe disadvantage against the then-stronger Confederate force. Third, Reynolds could engage the enemy beyond Gettysburg, trading men for time to keep the Confederates out of town and away from the key defensive terrain to the south for as long as possible. This was the riskiest, most daring option, but it kept up that screen of the key terrain, as well as the road network that would bring the rest of the army up to Gettysburg. As y'all already know, Reynolds chose this riskiest option. Although John Reynolds would pay for his decision with his life, subsequent events proved the wisdom of his audacity. He, not Robert E. Lee, had chosen the battlefield, and the sacrifice of the 1st and 11th Corps would allow the rest of the Army of the Potomac to occupy Cemetery Hill, Culp's Hill, Cemetery Ridge, and Little Round Top, thereby giving George Meade the edge in the fighting on July 2nd and 3rd. Now, like we said about John Buford, it's important here not to exaggerate Reynolds' accomplishments. He didn't single-handedly win the Battle of Gettysburg for the Union. But what he did do is make an important key command decision quickly while under immense pressure, and the decision he made went a long way toward helping shape the conditions that made a federal victory at Gettysburg more likely. That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation, and our recommendation this time is Crisis at the Crossroads, The First Day at Gettysburg by Warren W. Hassler, Jr. Don't forget you can find all of our book recommendations if you head over to the podcast website, 
which is www.civilwarpodcast.org. As we wrap up this show, we want to thank the newest members who signed up this past week over on Patreon to support the podcast. And that is Kyle, Jeff, Cam, and John. Phil, Jan, Steve, and Kate and Ben. Thanks also to John, Christopher, and Charles for their donations. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. Tracy and I do hope that you can join us again next time, but until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, y'all. Just a reminder that this episode of the podcast was sponsored by Simon & Schuster, publishers of Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington by Ted Widmer, which is available now. Providing a fresh perspective on the 16th president, Lincoln on the Verge chronicles Abraham Lincoln's 13-day journey from Springfield to Washington as the president-elect watches the nation tear apart. We see Lincoln recognize the enormity of the moment and grow daily as a leader while forging a bond with ordinary Americans during the stops along his trip. Lincoln on the Verge is available now. If your local bookstore is temporarily closed, try ordering it online or at bn.com or Amazon. It's also available as a downloadable ebook and audiobook.